Welcome to the morning community of Northridge Vineyard. Our deepest desire is that you will encounter Jesus as you listen in to our morning gathering. If you'd like to find out more about us, check out our website, northridge.org.au forward slash mornings. Names and what we call um, the children that are born to us, uh, that what we call each other, they're very, they can be very significant. And, and actually, over the years, the significance of names... I think has changed quite a lot. I've been really interested um, to, to see how that's shifted over the generations. Today, it seems that if you're going to try and choose a name for your child, it's the, the, the job, the task is to think up the most unique name that you can possibly think up. All right, you all know the kind of the names we're talking about. Um, you know, names uh, that are <clears throat> just a bit silly, um, like, that's a bit judgmental, isn't it? Sorry. They just seem very strange, some of these names. Names like Blue Ivy or Onyx, Winter. Do we have anyone called Winter here today? No, okay. A few. Um, Chicago. Um, these, these names that you just wouldn't think of are, are people's names. For some reason, they're, they're being drawn on as to, to name children. And, and, uh, you know, that's just really different, isn't it, from what we have seen in the past. And it seems like the, the job is to be, have the most unique name. In fact, um, if you look at census data, which of course I've poured over, um, back in the 1950s in America, a third of all names came from the top ten names, baby names. So a third of them. So, you, you know, you have one in three chance of being called Harry or, you know, I don't know. Helen or something like that, one of those top 10 names. Today, <clears throat> less than 1% of names come from those top 10 names. So they're really unique. Um, <clears throat> but more traditionally, you know, the meaning, why you, why you would um, give somebody a name was a lot more to do with about honoring or remembering families. I don't know if you have, maybe you have a, a name of your, great, of your grandfather or your grandmother that your parents thought, we really want to hold on to that name. It's been really significant. My, um, I have two middle names, and one of them is Edward, which was the name of my great-grandfather. Um, I have no idea about him. I didn't really learn anything about him, but for some reason, my parents thought that was really important. Did you know that, um, you know, that uh, Prince Charles actually has uh, the name George in his middle names? I, can't, I didn't write it down, but... Uh, when, if he ever becomes king, I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but if he ever becomes king, he may choose to call himself King George because uh, the kings of England and queens of England tend to pick all sorts of different names when they actually become king or queen because uh, kings, there weren't very good King Charleses. Um, I don't know if anyone you know your history, but they were pretty terrible people. So he may end up calling himself King George. So, you know, the names that we have can be about... Uh, remembering our family. It can be about honoring the past. But in the Bible, people were given names for quite different reasons. Um, sometimes people were given names in the Bible to try and to remember, to mark what happened at the point that they were born. I don't know if you can think of any of the names in the Bible that do that. Jacob is one of those. So Jacob was born, uh, he, was, he was a twin with his brother Esau, and he came out holding on to the heel of his brother. Came out just the moment later, 
holding on to Esau's heel. And so his parents called him Jacob, which literally means a combination of heel and follow. Can you imagine every time he heard his name as he's growing up, he's reminded he's number two. He's the second. That would be pretty tough, wouldn't it? But that's, that's a tradition that they had was to, to name their children, to mark what happened at that point, what was going on in that family at that particular point. But they were also about blessing a child's future or, or speaking the character of God over that child's life. You know, we've looked over the last, um, uh, certainly leading up towards Christmas, we did a series on David and on the life of David. Uh, and, you know, I love the name David because it means beloved of God. Beloved. Such a beautiful uh, expression to speak over someone. And, and, and you know, even, even similarly, his son Solomon, his name comes from Shalom. And it's, a, it's speaking over the peace that David had in his heart that would, would one day come because it wasn't a peaceful reign that David had. So he, he spoke that peace over his son as they named him Solomon. But the Bible also places some unique meaning on God's names because God's names say more than just who we hope he will be. Um, We're going to read from Isaiah chapter 9, and this should be on the slide there. But uh, this is Isaiah 9. Uh, I think it's verse 6. And you might want to just keep this open. So if you've got a Bible, feel free to just open it up. You may want to just keep this open as we look at this this morning. Uh, so, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and holding it with just, upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now today we're, gonna, um, we're just going to focus in on those names that we've read there that, that Jesus will be called. Because, uh, you know, we read this so often at Christmas time, uh, and and this is a wonderful prophecy that Isaiah brings thousands of years before Jesus is born. And it wasn't apparent to people at that time, but now as we look at it, we understand this is Jesus that we're talking about. This is the son, the child that is going to be born, and uh, and in it is so much for us to grasp if we are going to come and celebrate this baby that's been born but actually know who he is, to actually grasp who he is. Because I think that's probably the most important question that we will ever try to answer in this life. Who is he? Who is he? 
Uh, in, uh, as I said, in ancient biblical times, knowing someone's name was really significant. In fact, it was so significant, it was an invitation into a relationship. There's a number of instances in the Old Testament when God is asked, what is your name? I don't know if you recall coming back to Jacob. There is, there is a moment where Jacob is wrestling with an angel and he actually stops and asks the angel, what's your name? And the angel says, why do you ask me my name? This is about your name. God's renaming you. But there's also another instance where we see uh, Samson's, uh, Samson's parents meet an angel and ask the angel, what's your name? And the angel says, it's too wonderful for you. So there's a mystery of God, about God's name. And yet, there's also value in understanding what, is, what does it mean when we read his names will be. Because God's name actually invites us into a vulnerable, powerful encounter with him. He doesn't hold his name lightly. You know, when someone says, what's your name? Do you think twice about telling them what your name is? If you don't trust them, you might do. Well, for God, he takes it really seriously. He's like, let me tell you my name. And that's an invitation. So as we read this this morning, God is inviting you into an encounter with him. Can I encourage you with that? So let's look at these. This first name here, Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. Counselor here doesn't so much mean therapist, as it's kind of come to, to mean today. The context that we've got of this passage is a time when counselors were advisors, typically to kings. Isaiah is actually a cousin of the king at one point, And so he understands the royal context. And when he says... You know, he, when he talks about a counselor here, he's thinking of advisors that are trusted by the king. The, the, the king had to know that his counselors had his best interests at heart and had the interests of the, of the people and of the country at heart. And as we seek to apply God's word into our lives, we can be absolutely confident that Jesus has the best in us, best for us in mind. Now that, can I say, like that can sometimes, it doesn't look like that sometimes. You know, as we read this <clears throat> and we, we're trying to figure out how do we make peace with people who've hurt us. When, when we read this and we're trying to figure out how do we trust God with our children, how do we trust God with our finances? When God says for us to give back to him, it sometimes feels like, why would I do that? I don't have enough myself. It can feel counterintuitive. What the word is telling us, what we're being counseled. But he is reminding us that Jesus' counsel is wonderful. Almost too wonderful for us to understand. It's so wonderful that Jesus should be the first person that we go to. When, we have, when we're stuck, when we are beyond our own reasoning, 
Who do we go to in that moment? Psalm 139, it says this, You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. David got that sense that God's, God is just so wonderful and beyond our understanding. Let's lean on his counsel. The next name here we've got is Mighty God. And, you know, that we, the reason I wanted us to read the whole passage is to try and get a bit of the context, because the context of, of what Isaiah is talking about is this promise of rescue from darkness and from captivity. It's a promise of peace instead of arguments or instead of conflict. It's a promise of freedom to flourish and to prosper. You know, it's a, it's a promise about how the people of Israel would do that. They would flourish and prosper instead of being kept under the thumb of, a, of a, an oppressor. Do you relate to that at all in your life at the moment? In your work? You might not put it in such stark terms, like I'm under the rule of an oppressor. I hope you don't think of your, of your work like that. But it can sometimes feel like I'm not being allowed to flourish, to prosper, to actually live the fullness of life I, w- I know that there is for me. Or it can feel like I just need peace from the conflict that's going on perhaps in my relationships, in my family, in my friends. Jesus is a strong, powerful, mighty God who is able to overcome any darkness. He isn't frightened by danger or by evil or by rulers. He protects us. He fights for us. Because he isn't just a man. He's God. He's a mighty God. And as we, again, as we look at the nativity scenes that we'll see over this season, maybe you're walking through Westfield and you see like the little model, you know, nativity scene, it's easy to forget this baby people is in fact the mighty God of the universe coming to rescue his people. And that is what's beating in Isaiah's heart as he speaks these words. Everlasting Father, you still with me? We've got two more to go, okay? Everlasting Father. I wonder if you've ever heard of someone being described as fatherly. I wonder what images that brings up for you. I hope it's positive. If it is, <clears throat> perhaps it's someone who makes you feel safe, who gives you big hugs. Can you think of anyone? That you go, yeah, they're a really fatherly kind of person. Jesus is called um, here everlasting father. And sometimes that's a bit confusing. It's like, well, hold on, how can he be the father and, he, and he's the son? But this is not so much about his role. It's much more about his character towards us. Because... <clears throat> He is a good father who is always there for us. Um, 
we, uh, we had a bit of fun yesterday. Bonnie and I were trying something uh, that uh, was a little bit risky. We were reversing our car down our driveway. I won't say who was driving. Um, we were reversing our car down our driveway, and our driveway is actually quite difficult to navigate, and you can get into a bit of trouble if you're not careful. We got into a little bit of trouble. And so halfway through, uh, I just suddenly got this feeling like, oh, no, we're stuck. Oh, no, what are we going to do? And at that moment, I thought I would call my dad right now. I don't know about you. Some of you might not have a, a parent figure like this, but for me growing up, my dad was the guy that just knew what to do when we were in trouble. You know, it was like, oh, no, I've gone and run, you know, something over or whatever, like, I'm in real trouble here, can you help me? And they would come and they would, and they would not necessarily make everything better, but just be the moment of help. <clears throat> and, you know, I think that's just a picture of what Jesus is saying here. He is, if you're in that place where you're like, I'm just stuck and the panic is setting in and I don't know what to do, he is an everlasting father. He's also a father who is everlasting in his affection for us. There's nothing that we can do, nothing that we can do that would stop his affection toward us. He never gives up on us. He never walks out on us. He won't ever stop delighting in you. I love this in Psalm 100. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. It goes on and on and on. And lastly, we, we hear that Jesus is called Prince of Peace. And, you know, this name, Prince of Peace, it's, it's um, again, it's an interesting... You've got to remember these words are thousands of years old. And so it's not so much about being... Uh, a royal figure over a certain domain. It's not like the Prince of Wales. I don't know why Charles is coming up so much this morning. It's not like Prince of Wales. It, it, it's much more about what Jesus is supreme in. He is the principal holder of peace, the principal sustainer of peace. He's maybe a fountain of peace, might be another way of putting this. And what kind of peace are we talking about? It's not just a ceasefire, it's a permanent peace. It's a lasting peace. It's not giving in to the oppressors, it's not just saying, okay, sure, sure, just for the sake of peace. It's not that. This peace is is the fruit that comes from just and righteous decisions. Can I say that again? This, this peace is the fruit that comes from decisions that are made that are just and they're right. And, you know, I just want us to look again at this, this whole passage. If you look at verse 7, we read this. Of the increase of his government... And peace, there will be no end. I think it's really interesting that Isaiah puts those two things together. Government and peace. You might not naturally think of that, right? We don't necessarily veer towards government and peace. And yet, Jesus' kingdom, those two things, they are tied intrinsically together. 
In the Old Testament, God promised peace to Israel. But if you were a Syrian, it wasn't good news for you. Not in that moment. If you were one of the other nations, peace for Israel meant subjugation of those of those nations. Now, maybe in the long term, but in the short term, that, that, what that meant was peace for Israel meant those other kingdoms had to submit under God's rule. And, uh, you know, today, when God's peace comes into our lives, it's very easy to be like, oh, Jesus brings peace. But Jesus doesn't just bring peace. He brings his government and peace. So for us to find peace in our lives, it means we have to bring our other kingdoms and submit them to his lordship. We have to bring those areas of our lives where we want to be king or queen. We want to be the rulers. We want, we want the, the whole kind of <clears throat> character of our rule of those areas of our lives. We want them to be the way we want things. But, you know... We hope that God will bring peace with that area. But it doesn't work like that. Peace, Jesus' peace, lasting peace, it comes as we submit to the Lordship of Jesus. So, uh, you know, there is, as we look at these things this morning, I'm just, I'm very aware that there is a lot of stress in people's lives at the moment. There's a lot of pressure points. And, um, and I think there's a number of things combining that make this, this time of the year really quite stressful for people. And I think we're in need of wonderful counsel. We're in need of someone who will fight for us, who will always be there. We're in desperate need of peace in our world. And I'd love to just spend a bit of time just praying into that this morning. So let's just take a moment. Let's just invite the Lord to come and see what he wants to do. Lord, we ask you to come into this place today. Jesus, we invite you here. We thank you that your presence is, is already thick, already hovering in this place. Thank you, Lord. We're just going to wait for a minute or two just to invite, invite him to speak to us.
Can I invite you to stand? And we're just going to um, just going to take some time. Do stand with me. Thank you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come now in this place. We thank you, Spirit, that you are, you are Jesus to us. You reveal him. You bring his presence. We can be confident as we invite you to come that Jesus comes and stands before us by his Spirit. So come, Holy Spirit. Come and touch us. Come and fill us up. I want us just to take a moment to come to him and to bring our need before him this morning. It might be that you, you, you know you need peace. You need that peace that we're talking about, that lasting peace. And he's saying, come to me. Or you, you need to know that Father's embrace, that reassurance. You know, one of the things that struck me about all of these names is they're just... It's like, him, it's like he's saying, Jesus is everything. Jesus will meet every need. So let's bring every need to him today. King Jesus, you are a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. And we are sorry, Lord, when we have held back from turning to you out of fear or out of pride. And we turn to you now. We come to you now. Lord, there is so much that we can't control. And we place it in your hands today. We ask for your rescue, for your salvation, your deliverance. invite some of the worship team just to come and play but I'd love us just to stay in this place you know we've got lots of time this morning and I really sense Jesus he wants to meet with us but there is a there is an act of going okay Lord I need you then I'd love you just to invite you into today 
So if you know you, you need to do that, can I encourage you, invite you to come down to the front? And we would just love to pray with you. Thank you, Lord. We're just going to wait, though. We're just going to wait on the Spirit and see what else He wants to do. If you sense um, Him giving you a picture or word, we'd love you just to come and just share that with, with Bonnie. Uh, and uh, we'll just kind of weigh that. But let's be listening to what the Lord's doing because he's speaking to all of us today. If you need some prayer this morning, you'd like some prayer, someone to pray with you, please do just come, come to the front. We'd love to pray with you.